When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to The Gold Derby Show on The Gold Derby Podcast Network. Welcome back to Gold Derby. I'm Christopher Rosen. I'm joined by Joyce Ng. Joyce, we have we have a lot of, of little things to talk about, it seems. So, so a, a little bit of a lull in the week, I would say, between uh, the Oscars and now, like, guilds and stuff coming next week. This is why Phase 2 is boring. <laughs> it's a little little slow right now. We need... I mean, we, we need... had, we had a, you know, a, a week and a half of drama. And I guess still percolating from Andrea Riseborough. Yes, yeah, so this week we had... Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. On Tuesday, uh, The Hollywood Reporter published an open letter, basically, from uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood about uh, the Andrea Riseborough row and what happened there and how... Uh, Although she never names it or her, the no. movie or Andrea, no. No, and how it was not really, how even calling uh, calling the snub of the woman king a snub is not really accurate because it was just completely blank and obviously completely ignored by the Academy. And while she doesn't mention it, many, 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 many other groups also ignored it, uh, like the Critics' Choice Awards and the Golden Globes seemingly. Uh, but the Academy well, you mean from Best Picture because it did get nominations right. Right. in other categories. Yes, but for Best Picture. it was completely blanked at the Oscars. Yes, it was more about just the systemic racism in general of mm-hmm. the industry and just the awards ecosystem. Correct. Uh, let me see if I can find. I I, I don't have it up, Joyce. How bad is that? Already. Wow, you're so unprepared. <laughs> so already unprepared. Um. She says this award season was an eye opener and talks about how uh, a lot she was doing a uh, a lot of people would come up to her Academy members being like, I didn't really want to watch your movie. And then I'm glad I did that kind of thing and how kind of that hurt every single time uh, she heard it. Uh, And she mentions Till, obviously, and St. Omar uh, as well as being blanked by the Oscars. You know, I mean, the one part I think I saw a lot of people. pointing out was about the social capital. So we, we talked about this last week about how uh, we're talking about a lot the, the Andrew Riseborough conversation is about a lot of different things, certainly, and how a lot of Andrew Riseborough's famous friends helped her get an Oscar nomination, basically. But Viola and Davis and Daniel Deadweiler had backings of multi-million dollar studios, presumably to help support their campaigns. Gina Prince-Bythewood says, my issue with what happened is how people in the industry use their social capital, screenings in their homes, personal calls, personal emails, personal connections, elevated status. People like to say, well, Viola and Danielle had studios behind them, but we just very clearly saw that social capital is more valuable than that. The type of power is exercised in more casual ways in social circles where folks are your friends or your acquaintances. 
There may be diversity on your sets, but not in your lives. And Black women in this industry, we don't have that power. There is no groundswell from privileged people with enormous social capital to get behind Black women. There never has been. That's Gina Prince by the way. I mean, I would say the most damning sentence in there is there may be diversity on your sets, but not in your lives. Yeah. So I don't like the overall sentiment of that is not wrong at all. And I agree with a lot of it. Um, but I would say, you know, the social capital part of it all, it's it's not just exclusive to Andrea Riseborough. Like like we talked about last week like everyone does this behind the scenes. It's just, it's never been done on such an aggressive level as the two Leslie campaign, right? Or, or it, in such a visible level, right? Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, it was so public, but we all know this this kind of whisper campaigning and stumping for your friends and emailings and like screenings in your homes, like that type of stuff has always been done in Oscar's history campaigning. Mm-hmm. Like she's, hers is not the first quote unquote grassroots campaign. It was just, they were so intense about it and in such a concentrated period of time. Right. Yeah. But I also thought it was um, interesting when she uh, pointed out how, uh, you know, people have said like, you know, Till and Wilma King obviously had campaigns of like studios behind them. Like they spent, they had money and momentum pictures, like we've said, had no money. And that's why they did this. Um, but I think like the thing she doesn't talk about is how I don't think their teams in this case, like the Till team and the uh, Woman King team would have even thought about, uh, spearheading a campaign built on social capital, like to Leslie did because they didn't have money. So they wouldn't be thinking about it. Right. It's like necessity is the mother of invention. Right. You know? Right. And then also, I think what a lot of people have not talked about is that, like, as people of color, you don't really think about stepping out of line when you're trying to play by the rules. And they were obviously trying to play by the rules that everyone, not just them, but just all the studios and everyone has always played by, you know, like, this is how you campaign. And it's there are these vague rules and you could do these like behind the scenes like campaigning tactics that no one really talks about but and that's all like gonna find like you like this is how you play the game and like this is not their first rodeo like but that's just like how it is because you don't want to step out of line Mm -hmm. um and like seem difficult it's kind of like you know when you're a woman and you could say the most nonchalant thing (laughs) in the most neutral tone but people uh men usually will think you're a bitch or you're right. difficult because they disagree with you. It's like that, like for people of color, sometimes it's like, you just want to fit in. Like when you're a kid in school, you just want to fit in and, you know, stay in line. So you, you're, you're, you might be less inclined to think of something like this and like white people are privileged because like, they don't, you know, run the risk of having blowback like that, you know? Right. I think that's really fair. I, 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 I think people last week when we talked about this were like, I, I read the comments sometimes, which I know is a mistake, and a huge mistake, obviously. But uh, some people were like, "Oh, we were kind of like they felt that uh, we were maybe downplaying." Or I saw so somebody use the term gaslighting because we were saying it's not a big deal and everybody does it. But I do think it is not a big deal and everybody does it. I think the difference is like you're saying, it's not. It wasn't technically illegal. I don't think anything that happened here, but no. it is so visible and so nonchalant about being visible uh, that was unique to. Andrew Riseborough and the people 
uh, who were doing this, right? Because like you're saying, like, I don't think uh, if, I don't think a person of color maybe would even think to, to or would even risk doing that, right? At the, like you're saying about like getting, you know, getting in trouble then even if it's skirting the rules or like coming very Yeah, because you already rules. know the the system is built against you. Right. So you don't want to do anything more that would disadvantage your position when you already, you're already like starting way behind white people basically. Right. And you I know, guess, I mean, it's like, this is the type of stuff you have to think about and like the minefields you kind of have to navigate that I, white people don't really. Yeah, so, definitely not. I mean, I also think like, you know, it's a part of the conversation is it's impossible. There's so many different aspects. We kind of said this last week too. There's so many different, a this different aspects of this. Like I just want, we were talking before this about how Malcolm X, how Daniel Shiner got into it because he said in the Criterion Closet that Malcolm X- Got into it just on Twitter, basically. This is not a thing. This is no, not- But Malcolm X is his favorite crime movie and people were yeah. like pressed and unhappy with that. The description of Malcolm X. I rewatched Malcolm X last night, actually, just because I have it on Criterion 4K Blu-ray. Did you do it because of no, the- I, was, uh, I got it for Christmas and I've been meaning to watch it and I had time last night, but I knew that he had talked about it, obviously, uh, or mentioned it in the criterion closet and at the beginning of the movie is like a crime yeah, the movie. first act it's, it's like built a, it's it's structured like a crime film it's not entirely a crime film but right. there are elements of it in there. but the reason I, I brought it up is because i was watching it and i'm like this that movie is an incredible movie like just such a great movie it only got two oscar nominations denzel and uh ruth carter for costumes uh just an absolute travesty right for the academy to not have that get multiple nominations certainly i could see like 10 or 11 if i was just sitting there ticking them off it's so good and i think that's a conversation and like we we're saying like these movies here i don't think this is not to besmirch the woman king a movie i really like but it's not as good as something like malcolm x never does it need to be right or whatever but i think no. there's like levels of the conversation here and like you said it kind of just all came together like till i don't think is as successful as malcolm x certainly but uh, obviously no but it's also like if, if you think you know malcolm x is a goat movie it, it's also like if you're if you're not white it's like you almost have to scale um higher levels to get that kind of recognition like you can't right. pass with just mediocre stuff like white people right. like there's so much mediocre movies well to leslie not not to besmirch it right it's a little bit mediocre <laughs> it's totally that. fine <laughs> it's totally fine totally fine movie it's totally fine performance um and it's fine it's just totally fine but again it maybe gets the leg up like we're saying because of like the privilege and the the campaigning and I still don't think anything they did was against the rules. And I don't know. It's not. If, if you think the two Leslie campaign broke any rules, that's because all the, the quote unquote rules that the Academy has laid out their guidelines for campaigning, they were already obliterated a long time ago, chewed up, spit out and buried like 162 feet deep. Right. Like it was just they were all the stuff that they did openly on social media was stuff that was going on behind the scenes. Right. Anyway, there was like that, um, I think it was in THR or Variety. I think it was THR. Like um, a lot of an anonymous uh, uh, members talking, weighing in on this thing. And most of them, like, I think it was like nine out of 10. I don't know if it was 10, but it was like like 90% based. And most of them were just like, who cares? Like this happens all the time. <laughs> like right. they didn't do anything that right. doesn't already happen. So- right. It does feel like, so I think that is definitely part of the conversation. I think the rest of it, like we've said, is it's just a many, it's many different conversations all came together. And like you said, right when we started, phase two is a little slow. There's not much to talk about. So it's like, we've had, this is like a great uh, kind of like just sitting there 
as a as a talking point because yeah, now that it's and over, I'm, I am glad that Gina spoke out about this because she should because like, like like we like, talked about last week too there were signs that before the Oscar nominations that the Woman King despite its success was weak like in Miss Sag Ensemble in Miss PGA it should have easily gone both of those things yes at the end and there's obviously conversations within the Woman King like you said the the idea that genre movies are not taken as seriously right obviously it's a it's at least in the conversation if not like a major part of it but like like it missed all these guilds like pga how did it not get into pga how did the whale get into pga over the woman king that's like a complete uh, that's just nuts to me it they really had was. what four sequels right <laughs> i mean PGA. you know I, I just think that's it obviously it was a successful movie we talked about it a lot we really enjoyed it i i, I think it's a good movie I, i'm still waiting for it to be on netflix i my conspiracy is that it's coming to netflix in what 10 days next week yeah. i think next week finally but i'm like it's, man, it why sucks it because i feel like it will do well on netflix yes. so it sucks that it does not have a single oscar nomination well it's also like again and i this is like a conspiracy and i'm sure it has nothing to do with this but i was just like it felt like it should have been on it much earlier. It came out mid-September. It should have been on like last month, maybe not right during voting, but like certainly like last month and that it's still not on there. I'm just like, man, that's well, she mentioned like Gina mentioned something in there about like how they were hoping to have like a VOD sales or something. Right. It was, I don't there was some, some line in there. She was talking about like all the success and like, um, Oh, she said we're we're going to pass 100 million at the global box office, which is groundbreaking. Historic sales on VOD and DVD are great. So I think there were, I don't know. I guess that's also the risk, like when you're just kind of holding out on the streaming, um, in hopes that like you'll get the nominations, and then if you don't, then it's just kind of like, oh, that's you know. It, it I just feel like like we saw this with Babylon too, honestly, which came out like right after on on VOD, I guess on January 31st, I guess. And I feel like everyone was sharing memes and tweets and like, oh man, Babylon's great. People are going to really be like, I can't believe we slept on Babylon. That was like every single tweet I saw basically was like that. And I feel like Woman King, it's going to have the same kind of thing when it's on Netflix. And it'll be like the number one movie on Netflix for like two weeks. That's not like an original or whatever. Uh, if, I mean, if Prisoners was like the number one movie on Netflix for like a couple of weeks, like certainly the Woman King would be. Uh, and people are going to be like sharing tweets and memes from it. And it's going to be like West Side Story style all over again, where it's like, man, we really slept on this really good movie. But West Side, I mean, at least West Side Story got nominations. But yeah, right. that was like, they waited so long. They should have dumped that, not dumped, but like they should have put that on yeah. Disney Plus during voting, but they waited until March 2nd last year. <laughs> Joyce, you, 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 you told me this earlier, so I pulled it up. Viola Davis uh, posted about the, the Gina Prince-Bythewood uh, editorial, and she wrote, allyship equals active support for the rights of marginalized group without being a member of it. This is what's missing. Whether it be a quote grassroots campaign spearheaded by peers or multi-million industry dollars backing one, we rarely are at we we rarely are the benefactors, which I, I think was probably a typo for beneficiaries, maybe. Yeah, when I read that last night, I was like wince. I was what like, me. You mean beneficiaries? Yeah, not typing on your phone though. It, I mean, I don't speak. I know, and maybe you know her social media person posted it, and I know, but I was like, you know, benefactor is the person who gives the money. Right. Beneficiary um, is the person who profits from it. So if you if you see my work, you also have to see our plight and either contribute to it or hinder it. I stand in solidarity with Gina Prince Bythewood and all artists of color who continue to work, create, thrive despite our environment. I will hope always. Viola rules. He got one, yeah. Viola he got, yeah, you know, she missed the Oscar nomination, but she got her Grammy this weekend. So 
I mean, I think Viola's going to do fine. She's got a TV show coming. She, yeah, like Waller. she was always going to be fine whether or not she got the nomination. I think it's it's more for, you know, because uh, she has the stature already right now. Now she's right. an EGOT winner. It's more like someone like Danielle could have really benefited, a beneficiary from an Oscar nomination, you know? <laughs> well, we'll see this. So this weekend, uh, we're talking about like all these like phase two things. On Monday is the Oscars luncheon, which I think will be interesting. We're going to have a whole new spate of headlines because, um, you know, Andrea will be there presumably likely, will be there. likely be there i think it'll, it'll make more headlines if she were not there <laughs> i already saw at least one person suggesting it's weird that she's not at the santa barbara international film festival at least on the schedule though at the t- at the same time the santa barbara international film festival seemingly is trying to chase oscar clout so scheduling out all these well they comedy. they announced like right. these film months. festivals like this in palm spring they announced the recipients months in advance right. i remember getting these emails in like october <laughs> correct so seemingly not like can't really pivot when you have a shocking out of nowhere Oscar nomination for Andrea Riseborough, but presumably she'll be at the thing. I mean, I'll be curious to see, cause like we said last week, it's like even watching the movie, I was like, I was underwhelmed because I was just expecting something so great. And I think there's like an added pressure on this movie. That's like a small indie movie that now, if you watch it now in the hindsight of like the Oscar nomination, you're like, I don't know. It seems okay, right? Like it's well, like, I mean, I don't think they were ever pushing the movie itself as a whole as a thing. It was always about Andrea and her right. performance. Like but I think the they point. always knew that. So I don't yeah. know if they really. I don't know if they expect you to think the movie is amazing. I don't know. Like, I I guess I'll just be curious. Like I don't. I kind of like. I don't know if I feel bad is the right phrase for this but i'm just like i'll be curious to see how she because she's been the she has not really said a thing and she's been the subject of just how many million headlines right and ever all this conversation without even having weighed in and yeah i don't know what her reaction will be i'm assuming she'll be there and like you said have to be asked by it right or like there's reporters at this luncheon so they'll probably talk about it or talk to other people about it and it just seems like what is that going to be like i'll be curious to see she hasn't really done a lot of interviews joyce no, she basically did what, you know, every nominee does the day of the nominations. They just do the reaction interviews. And then sure. that was that. Right. And that was before yeah. this before, kind of really got into the yeah. cultural discourse that. Before uh, the investigation started. Right. So I'll be curious to see what that's like. But Santa Barbara, Joyce, a lot of our, our favorite uh, Oscar frontrunners are going to be there. Angela Bassett will get the. Please Montecito read the, the names of these awards because I love Angela them. Bassett. They're, they're always, they always make me laugh. <laughs> Angela Bassett is getting the Montecito Award, which sure. is named after one of the most beautiful and stylish areas in Santa Barbara, recognizing an individual who gave the performance of their career in film this past year. That was a very stylish performance, just like Montecito. I've been to Montecito, so yeah. The performance of their career in film this past year. So it's their best performance of their career from the last year, not necessarily their whole career based on that wording. Because I would say as much as Angela Bassett is great in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which I rewatched Joyce, and she is quite solid, even if she's only in it for like 25 minutes, basically. Not that I mean, that matters. is like a totally fine screen time for supporting performance. Totally fine. And she's got like three scenes, like you said, and like, they're all good. But she's so it's like Malcolm X. Not to go, I was like, man, she's rules of Malcolm X. It would have been great to get her. Uh... She should have a lot more nominations, yes. um, like Waiting to Exhale. Yeah. She should be a winner already. Well, um, my- I was thinking about this. Um, obviously because of uh, Kate and Michelle in Best Actress and just how like, man, this is just like terrible timing because they should both be winners in different Mm -hmm. years and how it was kind of like that with Angela and what's love got to do with it. Like just 
being unlucky to go up against Holly Hunter and the piano that year. And if they had just released uh, What's Love Gotta Do With It a year later when Best Actress was completely dead. <laughs> we talked yeah. about this in Oscars playback. Uh-huh. <laughs> like she would have easily won. <laughs> uh, no offense Blanchett- to Jessica Lang. So No. Kate Blanchett getting uh, the Outstanding Performer of the Year Award, which I mean, that Normal one is pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, so let's see who else uh jamie lee curtis has the malton modern master award yeah that's always my favorite um name of the of an award here just for the alliteration alone so, so jamie lee is out there in the campaign trail too joy she did an interview with vanity fair a very emotional interview talking about how th- she thought of her uh, she was so psyched to get this nomination and really wanted it and like kind of like went for it mentioned uh for your consideration by christopher guest her husband uh-huh. uh as part of it talked about her family and stuff left tearing up in the interview. I love when I read interviews and it says tears up in, in brackets, you know, because like uh, you're reading it, even though I think it was- it's always, I also podcast. love uh, when you, like us as the journalists have to indicate that in the copy, it's funny. Laughs, yeah. brackets. Laughs, uh, So Jamie Lee will be there. Uh, created, this award was created in honor, to honor an individual who has enriched our culture through accomplishments in the motion picture industry, the award was named in honor of longtime SBIFF moderator and renowned film critic Leonard Malton. Hard to argue that Jamie Lee Curtis has not enriched culture. She's one of the most iconic actresses of the last 50 years. Thanks to Halloween, True Lies, and I guess Everything Everywhere All at Once, her Oscar nomination. Yeah, no, they've, they've given this to a lot. I think they gave it to Ben for Argo. Hell yeah, they did. Yeah, so Ben, uh, who had a, such a great time at the Grammys, so... Uh, can't wait till we do our Oscars 2024 episode and I get to just stump for air for like 45 minutes because it's going to be the best movie in the world and Viola Oscar incoming for that next year. I mean, I have a, I already have a story. I mean, I could tell it in, in six weeks, but I I have a, I have a take on her performance in that movie already. So (laughs) I I have not seen, I have not seen that movie. I can't wait. Oscar, Viola Oscar incoming. Uh, the American Riviera award going to Brendan Fraser Joyce. Who is in the who headlines. has a who was on Howard Stern this week and made headlines for saying the Golden Globes. So many breakout stories from that interview. A lot of them, but the Golden Globes one got a lot of buzz. I, I they needed me more than I needed them. And where's the lie, basically? Certainly. Yeah, and then he called it a hood ornament. He called the award, um, but he was very hood. happy for Austin Butler. He was very happy for Austin Butler, but also like he doesn't care about these awards. No. And he said, here's what he said. I found myself wondering, is this a cynical nomination? I couldn't really tell because of my history with them and that I still have yet to see the results from their reformation. We are still awaiting that to tell you the truth. But then he praised them for having uh, Zelensky on, uh, which I know the Oscars failed to do. And Sean Penn was going to smelt his Oscars, Joyce. I don't know if he ever smelt it. Uh, he gave him one of his Oscars. He gave him one rather than smelt. But did yeah. he smelt the other one? I don't know. Well, no, he he said he said like he like he could give it back to him one day, right? That's what he said when he gave it to him. I guess, right? I mean, maybe I, then I, I, I could be. I could be completely. He making might it be up. smelting it when he gets it back. I guess. Uh, so that's Brendan. This award, the American Riviera Award, recognizes actors who have made a significant contribution to American cinema. Again. I mean, The Mummy, obviously, and George of the Jungle classics. Then, then the Virtuosos Award is an honor created to recognize a select group of talent whose noteworthy performances in film have elevated them into the national cinematic dialogue. And this one has like eight recipients. 
So here are the nominees or the winners of this and who will be there to discuss their work. Austin Butler, Best Actor nominee for Elvis. Carrie Condon, uh, Best Supporting Actress for the Banshees of Inisher. And Daniel Deadweiler will be there for Till. Nina Haas for Tar. Stephanie Sue, an Oscar nominee for Everything Everywhere. Jeremy Pope for The Inspection. Q Kwan for Everything Everywhere. And our boy Jeremy Strong for Armageddon Time. Wish that one, uh, still waiting for that to get to Peacock Choice. Focus uh, Peacock re- really uh, went all in on this for him. <laughs> So. Uh, Peacock win for Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong, a future Oscar nominee next year for Maestro, I assume, Joyce, as he's a supporting actor contender for for Bradley Cooper's uh, epic. And then... You know what I just realized? What? Like, right this second. What? When you said Maestro. What? <laughs> if Kate Blanchett wins this year, next year, Lydia Tarr can give the Oscar to Leonard Bernstein. That's pretty good. Four. And Bradley get that makeup Oscar since he's so wrongfully lost to Rami Malek for uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. And then they're giving out an Outstanding Directors of the Year Award, really covering their bases here. Todd, uh, the Daniels, Todd Field, and Martin McDonough win this. I mean, yeah, sure. All Oscar nominees. Um, did then, you did you skip the, the Cinema Vanguard Award? That's last on my list here. Cinema oh Vanguard Award. Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson win that. The Cinema Vanguard Award recognizes actors who have forged their own paths, taking artistic risks and making a significant and unique contribution to film. It's funny that they're getting this since um, this is their second film <laughs> together. Uh <laughs> So that's great. So we'll see a lot of headlines this weekend, I'd imagine, about this Andrew Riseborough stuff too, I think. I, you, I mean, like, what do you think? It's de- definitely going to come up, I feel like. Um, one, they're all, they're all, they're not all this weekend. It's over like a week. So um, that's true. Like the, some the, of the stuff is, I the think the virtuoso one right? is next On week. I mean, this weekend is only, well, Friday is the Cape Blanchett one. Thursday is the end. Uh, we're recording this again on Wednesday. So tomorrow or today, if you're watching this, is the uh, Angela Bassett one. And then Cape Blanchett on February 10th. Saturday, February 11th is the Jamie Lee Curtis one. Tuesday, February 14th for Valentine's Day is Brendan Fraser. Virtuosos are on February 15th. The Daniels and the other directors on the 17th. The Cinema Vanguard on the 16th. So there you go. It goes for a long time. Yeah, so we'll have uh, more headlines next week. Lunch in and this. That's a lot, a lot of juice there, Joyce. Listen, you go to, where, where's the luncheon at the, is that the Hilton? No, it's not the Hilton, but somewhere in LA and they just go up to Santa Barbara. So, uh, so Joyce, we were talking about this too. We've, a lot of the guilds are coming up. We've uh, really ignored this part of it, I feel like, so far. Well, there's a ton of guilds, but um, we we haven't, I think the only one we really discussed in depth was SAG. Yes. <laughs> so we didn't really talk about like DGA or PGA, which are coming up um so next week so dj is the 18th yes and then baptist the next day right and then pga is the 25th and then the next day is sag (laughs) right uh so dga why don't we do that one joyce the nominees were uh (laughs) the daniels for everything everywhere uh joseph kaczynski for top gun todd field for tar martin mcdonough for the banshees of anisher and steven spielberg for the fablemans we could go through the rest of them too, first time and stuff, but that's the film director category. I still have Spielberg winning. Is that wild? Um, probably. Is he first in the odds? In the odds, he is with the Daniels close behind, but I, I don't know. I still think Spielberg could win. I, I, 
I mean, this is a cat. Like I was talking about, this is like I think we were talking about this, and I was talking about. I mean, everything everywhere could really win like four or five Oscars very easily, all above the line. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. I don't know if the Stephen predictions are hope predictions or just because he won the Globe, which also feels like seventy five years ago. <laughs> I mean, I'll speak for me and say it's a hope diction at this point. I don't think the globe really matters. Like we said, I think the only reason uh, the globe mat- globes matter is those early and same with the Critics' Choice Awards. I think they're on the same they're on the same boat for me. Where it's like the only thing that really matters is the speeches from those awards or the perception that you won something. And if your speech is like incredibly compelling and you're a, on the cusp of being a front runner that could help push you over the top. Steven Spielberg's speech I thought was really great at the Golden Globes, but it didn't really move the needle, I don't think, at all. And, you know, I don't think it really matters. And it kind of got overshadowed, I think, later by the Critics' Choice Awards where the Daniels were giving a bunch of different speeches, it felt like. So, I don't know. Including one at their table because they didn't announce original screenplay during the podcast. So, so. I'm hope-dicting them, but I think I would not be surprised if the Daniels won, though... I still have a sneaking suspicion that Todd Field could be a big factor in this race and it has not materialized at all. But what if like Todd Field- I can actually, so it's it's funny because I can see Todd winning the Oscar without winning anything else, but I can't see Steven doing that. Same. But what if Todd Field wins at BAFTA? I think he can. Um, <laughs> I don't even know who I have at BAFTA. I don't know if I, I have- I just think that it's else. like- this kind of this year just for, for whatever reason and especially because the daniels i think are at least in my eyes like the front runner for screenplay over banshees it just feels like this is like one of those years like it's like an argo like i just think it's like an argo year even though they're nominated for director where it's like there's not a real need to have a it match picture and director this year and i just wonder or even like last year i guess would be a better comp but i'm like i just think there's like there's not a, a ton of passion for them as directors as much as there is for the movie and them as writers. Is that that's at least my fantasy? I don't know if that's true. I don't even know if like there's passion for them necessarily as writers. I think the passion is really for the movie in general and the cast, right? And right. obviously they're the brains behind the operation here because right. they wrote and directed it. But I don't know. But no, I agree. I don't think anyone is kind of like hyping up any of their yeah. directing aesthetic necessarily right I, um, just, you talk something... about like the editing more too because it's right. the most editing and obviously it's the most original script so they could definitely win um in that vein too but yeah it's not like banshees is more writerly movie i don't even think tar is a writerly movie but it's such a character study it, it just is that de- and it's also definitely like the most like having rewatched it, it does feel like the most directed. I think if you're thinking of like whatever you think of the word directing is, I just feel like it's very directed. It is like very specific, even more so than like everything everywhere, which like you said, I think the other elements are more of the most. I don't know. I just don't, I could see, I could see like Tart winning literally nothing because I think there's a world where like Kate doesn't win best actress and it just goes over six and that would be fine. And people would be like, okay, great. Like it doesn't really matter. But I could really see him winning Best Director. I don't know. I'm not ready to predict it. And I guess I don't know what really well, you know, to do he with won DGA. over the weekend was also the London Critics. Yes. And Tar did really well. Um, it won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actress. Right. So. London Critics aren't voting for Oscars. No, but they, they're they kind of like indicative like of the 
of what like BAFTA might do. Like it, they have kind of like the similar vibe. I mean, so. I do think Todd could win BAFTA. I really do. And I think if he wins BAFTA, I think you go into the Oscars with like him versus the Daniels basically and Spielberg in a distant third. And then we'll see. I don't know. I, yeah. Cause like, like I've said before, even if Steven wins DGA, I would not be confident in picking him for the Oscar either. <laughs> like it's right. not, I, I don't even know what would make me confident in predicting him. I think like he would need, like, I, I don't think I would believe it unless like he actually won. I'm like, Oh, he actually won the Oscar. Cause there's really no other way for him to make up ground in theory. Right. He just because has DGA. Like he he's obviously is not, not a BAFTA. Didn't even Correct. make the long list. Right. Um, I, I'm not going to put him at the, I don't know. I'll, I'll put the Daniels in first, the DGA, but I'm just like, I think Todd Fields could really win. I guess, I don't know if that's true, but. I don't, well, because like the last, I don't even know how far to go back. Um, because I feel like we've kind of had just really solid directing front runners, even though, you know, like Sam Mendes ended up losing in the end the Oscar, but like Jane last year swept, Chloe swept. Right. Um, like Sam took off from the Globes, nineteen seventeen. Um, but I, I guess Alfonso my person, swept. <laughs> Sam never swept. felt like it didn't feel like a surprise to me when when he lost Best Director at the Oscar. No, 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 because like Parasite was like the beloved movie, Correct. right? But like, um, and yeah, Damien. I guess I guess it's AGI for Birdman because it was really boyhood up until the guilds and then it just flipped and the industry went wild for Birdman. Right. Um, um here's a category I wish the Oscars would actually have first time director. Wouldn't it be great? Such a good category. So this year the nominees at the DGA Joyce were or Charlotte Wells, Alice Diop, John Patton Ford for Emily the Criminal, Audrey Diwan for Happening, and Antonetta Alamed. Kuzijanovich for Murina. And I have Charlotte Wells winning. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Nothing really I, else to say. I mean, I think there's a case for John Patton Ford because people really do seem to love Emily the Criminal. And it's a movie that I I feel like Emily the Criminal is a little bit like uh, to Leslie and that it was at South by Southwest, I believe, and did not really make a big splash, but then it was added to Netflix. And it feels like I saw just a lot, a lot of people paying attention to it after it hit Netflix. That plus like Aubrey, Audrey Plaza in the White Lotus kind of like helped it regain some kind of cultural prominence. Yeah, but I think like After Sun is just certainly too certainly. far ahead here. Like, I don't think this, you know, I mean, like, remember when Bradley lost <laughs> for mm-hmm. Stars War? <laughs> but I think that's that's more of them just like not loving A Star is Born than you know anything else like last year like maggie gyllenhaal won um who was two years ago um oh was it um it was darius martyr right yeah i mean maggie gyllenhaal and uh, charlotte wells winning back to back for uh vacation movies with paul mescal there you go Probably that's that's the key to winning first time director. Definitely different yeah. tones, I would say, but like <laughs> still pretty both pretty good movies. Uh for documentary directing Joyce, this one I find uh I don't know what the like the, the nominees are all the beauty and the bloodshed, fire of love, all the breeze, Navani, and retrograde. 
I have, I have Laura portraits for, for all the beauty in the bloodshed, but I'm not convinced. Um, I think I probably do too. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming that's in first. It is in first. And then fire of love is in second with, uh, Sarah Dosa. I could see that winning. They're putting on a full court press for it. I feel like I get an email about it almost every day. So, um, I still think Nalvani could win at the Oscars. Yeah. Um, the DJ also does TV, Joyce. I mean, we don't need to do TV unless you really want to. <laughs> no, not really, I guess. Though I, I really have to update my picks. There's just not a, not really doing a great, not doing a great job here with these. So. We can do TV when we make our final predictions in two weeks. <laughs> next week, we have to do it, right? Uh, and then, um, yeah, next week. Yeah. And then it's, you it's want, President's weekend. Yeah. Right. We could do makeup and hairstyles. You want to do that? That's this weekend. You want to look at that one? I don't even know if I've done that one. So. <laughs> well, there's a I, lot of categories. For a, for a lot of these minor ones, I do them like the day before because there's, there's just of, so many. <laughs> a lot of categories. Um, but just the nominees there for just for for edification, uh, contemporary makeup. The nominees were Batman, Everything Everywhere, Nope, The Menu, and Spirited. Feels like the Batman would be a, a front runner there. For period character makeup, the nominees were Elvis, Blonde, Babylon, Till, and Amsterdam. Got Elvis up top. I feel like at least in our odds. Yeah, I would say, yeah, Batman, Elvis. For, for special effects makeup, Whale, Batman, Black Panther, Elvis, and Matilda. So I have the Whale up there. That's a, that's the Whale. Yeah. Though I'll be curious to see if actually if it loses there. I mean, I don't know if it's a lock to win at the Oscars, but I'll be curious to see if the Batman wins there and what that means. Uh, contemporary hairstyling was the nominees are Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Everything Everywhere, The Batman, Glass Onion, and The Menu. I would do Black Panther for that. Certainly. How close do you think the Batman was to a Best Picture nomination based on all the guilt? Right. No. I think it was probably top 15, though. What do you think? I mean, Michael Giacchino couldn't even make the shortlist for score. I feel like that was a weird branch, you know, not appreciating Michael Giacchino more than like the strength of the movie. I don't know. Uh, film period character hairstyling. Blonde, Elvis, Babylon, Amsterdam, and The Woman King. Blonde is first in our odds, but I'm like, really? No, I can see Blonde winning. Um, I mean, she goes she goes through a lot of uh, periods, no pun intended. Wow. That. Like um, I don't for, even know. Like, five people like, who watch I mean, you've seen Babylon more than I have. Like, I don't. <laughs> I interviewed the hair and makeup people from Babylon. So, uh, so you have to predict that. Well, I would, obviously. Uh, they did a lot of, it was interesting because they did a lot of work to make it not look like uh, the typical 1920s look. So they gave like Margot Robbie, like long hair. Yes, I, I've something. heard that was, uh, that was their talking point. <laughs> it was a good talking point. It looks great. Uh, I don't know. I would, I would let them, I would pick them, but I'm a Babylon stand to the end, Joyce. I mean, Elvis had a lot of wigs. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of makeup on uh, Colonel Tom. Um, and then uh, the other yeah. one that will I guess will have happen before we record next is Visual Effects Society Avatar so you'll be shocked to know Avatar is in first in our odds for effects driven film 
the other nominees were Top Gun, Batman, Jurassic World, and Fantastic Beasts, a movie that exists. It's a real movie. I've never seen any of the Fantastic Beasts films. You're uh, not missing. Am I missing out? I don't. I don't really think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Uh, supporting effects. This is an interesting one, I guess, for like added. You know, the supporting effects. But Thirteen Lives, I believe, is in first in this one. That makes uh, sense. The Gray Man, The Pale Blue Eye, The Fablemans, Death on the Nile, and I Want to Dance with Somebody. That is a category. Um, yeah, it's very eclectic, but, uh, 13 lives. (laughs) And then animation film makes it in here for effects and it's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Turning Red, Strange World, The Sea Beast, The Bad Guys, and Mad God. Seems like Pinocchio's sweep there. Not to derail this from visual effects, but I was talking to, uh, my friend the other day because, so we're just, we have not seen Puss in Boots. But like we just love everything about it. Like even before it came out and was a smash. Um and so the other day it it passed or it dethroned Avatar at, at top of the like UK box office or something. So we we're talking about that. And then she was like, What if it actually wins the Oscar? <laughs> I mean, it could. It's definitely uh not out of the question, I wouldn't say, but it just feels like I don't, I feel like they don't really think about that category too hard. So I think that's why it still favors Pinocchio. Certainly seems that way. Uh, I won't pick it, but I have it in second, I believe, at the Oscars for now. Uh, Joyce, we could do some emails here before we sign. This would be a sign off almost because we're running out of things to talk about. Like we said, it's like a little bit of a lull week, but I got a lot of emails. I can't believe you did not sign off before reading them again. so you could email us at slugfests at goldderby.com uh, and here's one from darren hi chris and choice you've answered a question of mine before so i considered going under an alias this time but then i decided that i like the idea of becoming a recurring character on your most excellent podcast plus i really do want your opinion on this oscars question thank you darren this one's about meryl streep Just recently, you reminded us that she's the GOAT acting vote-getter with those 21 nominations thus far. My question, do you think Meryl is done as far as her constant racking up of nominations goes? Did that huge tally happen not only because she's great, but also because there was some Meryl-friendly profile of the Oscar voting body that just doesn't exist anymore? Is Kate the new Meryl? Is Viola? Well, except for this year, the new Meryl. And is there any new Meryl or are all the Meryls done Longtime listener, you two are the very best. No joke. That's Darren. And he had a little asterisk here. A reminder, a reminder that Meryl couldn't get an Oscar nomination for The River Wild, my The Woman King comp, but did get an Oscar nomination for Ironweed, my Andrea Riseborough and Two Leslie comp. Joyce, I'll let you answer this one because I feel like you have a much greater grasp of uh, Meryl's history. Of Meryl's yes. Uh, yes. Blackjack nominations. Yeah. Um, I think this is her longest gap without a nomination because she went, I think, five years mm-hmm. in the 90s without one. Um, and I think that was like because of her family um, and just like raising her kids. So but- we got, I could read them off 79, 
this is the Oscar ceremony, not the year of the movie. So 79, 80, 82, 83, 84, 86, 88, 89, 91, 96. There we go. 99, 2000, 2003, 2007. So that's another four years. Uh, 2009, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2015, 2017, 2018. And now we're up to 23. This is definitely the longest since the 90s. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't. Does she have anything well, this year? Like really she had Don't Look Up last year, but it wasn't like she was really in serious consideration for that. Oh my God. Remember, let them all talk. So her nominees here, the last one I believe was for The Post. Is the, Oh no, Mary Poppins Returns, right? No, The Post. The Post, she didn't get nominated for Mary Poppins. Okay. So Mary Poppins Returns. Then she was in The Laundromat, Little Women, uh, The Prom, which she's actually great in, Let Them All Talk, Don't Look Up. And then her next big gambit is Only Murders in the Building to get her an Emmy, I guess. And then after yeah, that, that's she's, what in, she's doing right now. And then um, she's also got another TV show. I think it's called Extrapolations, which is an Apple TV show. Yeah, that's um, an anthology. So it's not. And she has no other movies listed at the moment. So maybe she's just going for Emmys right now. But um, no, I don't think I don't think she's done racking up nominations. I think she uh, she's just in another lull right now. Right. I like I think she can easily come back with just another like Oscar friendly vehicle. I think while I understand his question is like the the makeup of the Oscar voting body has definitely changed, right? For the better in theory. Uh I still think everyone loves Meryl. And if she did have like something that was like significant, people would just be like, Yes, Meryl, like check it off. Yeah. But I do wonder if the idea of like we we've certainly I think maybe I'll give you the credit for coining it, but the Merrill Filler nomination that we have like talked about many times. Uh I wonder if we're gonna see those as much anymore because like this year, like for like he's saying, like Darren is saying here, I mean that Viola Woman King nomination, all respect to the Woman King, would have been a quote unquote filler nomination for Viola, right? She's not gonna win. She's probably like in the fourth place. Same like Olivia Coleman for like Empire of Light this year would have been like a filler nomination for her, right? Just like not gonna win, just check her off, kind of like throw her in the list. And I wonder now, because there's so many more, it feels like there's so many more movies, certainly, or many more contenders, or maybe more attention on all these different things, that maybe we're not going to have as many filler nominations. And I think you see that now, like, maybe this year is like a prime example of that, right? Because you could have had, like, it's very easy to imagine this year playing out where both Olivia Coleman and Viola Davis are nominated for Oscars. Uh, for m movies that are not, like, in their top performance level, and, like, that they would not win for. Kind of like Meryl so many times before, but that didn't happen because we had Andrew Riseborough and Anna de Armas making it in somehow. Well, I think so. Um, with this year too, I, I think the thing with Andrea's campaign was that she, it, it offered people like an exciting new option, right? Cause they had never heard of this movie before. And then they were just getting inundated with emails from Mary McCormick. So they're like, fine, I'll like check it out, right? So then I think, and it, it happened, you know, they struck while the iron was hot, like right in the middle of voting, right mm -hmm. when voting started. So I think that was exciting to these, you know, their fellow actors who were maybe just kind of like 
dulled from seeing the same names and faces from the past couple months, right? And maybe they weren't um, like none of those performances were their favorite or maybe they were their favorite, but then it's kind of like recency bias. It's like, oh, I just watched sure. two Leslie and like Andrea was great. Um, but we've also said like this year for Best Actress has been or was like really competitive. Right. And so like we could still see filler nominations. Last year was not. So I think if Meryl like had the post last year, <laughs> she could have got it in. Sure. Okay. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. So I think it's just kind of, you know, every year is different. Um, again, it's all about timing. Like she was a filler nomination for Florence Foster Jenkins. She was. You know, it's. Many of her nominations were filler nominations. Like we talked about One True Thing, a great movie, right? Wasn't she a filler nomination for that, I think? It's well? like, yeah, a lot of these, like she got in and it's like you knew she was not winning even if it was like a top tier performance like devil was prada i would give her the oscar for that but we knew helen mirren was winning of course um so so who's the new uh, meryl lynch do you think any of these actresses are is meryl the new meryl meryl's always the meryl meryl is still the meryl i think i mean so kate blanchett is on her eighth nomination right now Mm -hmm. so if she wins obviously it'll be her third so she'll get to number three quicker than meryl did right Mm -hmm. So um, I think we would need to, I'll, I'll, like for me personally, I would need someone to hit double digits first before we really start talking about and it. Another Meryl, yeah. I think that's- Yeah, so she's at eight. Kate Winslet is at seven and she has Lee this year. So she could be back next year with number eight. What about- um, she, uh, also, she also had a hefty break um, in between nominations before Steve Jobs, so- what about Annette Benning, Joyce? Possible nominee this year or next year for her movie. Uh, I feel like she's had a, she's had several uh, films recently where it seems like maybe she'll get another nomination. Diane <laughs> Feinstein in the, the report, remember, uh, didn't happen. And then what? Well, it's like film stars always die in Liverpool. Yeah. She got a BAFTA one, nomination. Remember Fondly? This year, I think her movie is Nyad, I believe, which is... Uh, Netflix. Yeah, I think I think early like or like even last year, people thought that was going to be this year. It was. It I think wasn't. maybe they were still working on. It. I think that was like the rumor that it yeah. was. But another uh, Killers of the Flower Moon situation. Yes. Uh, here's another email, Joyce. Again, you can email us at slugfest at goldderby.com. Uh, here is an email from Sebastian who writes. Hi, Joyce and Chris. First, I want to say I love your slugfest discussions about the current state of award season. I'm always looking forward to the new episode. So highly entertaining. You both are great duo. I love it. More more gassing us up, so that's fine. Uh, I also want to give a shout out to everyone at Gold Derby and the work they do. The interviews uh, are always about the craft and not about the gossip. So there you go. Here's his question, Sebastian. What do you think should the Academy reduce the nominees for Best Picture back to five? I actually think it would be better because it's more exclusive. I have the feeling now with 10 slots, everything can get Best Picture almost. What is your opinion on that? Joyce? Sebastian and I are on the same wavelength. I am always about restricting things. I agree. Um, it, it, it's, it should be about the exclusivity and there's other, like I understand why you, it's a bad thing, especially when there's a lot of gatekeeping involved and just, you know, as you said, like systemic racism, right? Mm-hmm. And, but I do think it, if you're, you know, ostensibly trying to award the best, it should be exclusive. 
um, and it should not be a participation thing. And like the more slots you add, stuff like it just kind of dilutes the product. I'm going to take the opposite side choice. I think we should stick with 10. I've been thinking about this. And I also think we should up to 10 all the acting categories. No, no. It's, it's, it's exactly how I feel about gender neutral categories. Do them fine, but it should be five. It should not be 10. Here's, here's why I think. And I think the problem isn't just that there's too many. And I understand what you're saying, but I do think the problem is also, this is like a, this guy again we i kind of goofed on this but mia goth being like i can't believe they don't respect genre but i really think that if they increase the number of categories increase the number in the categories to 10 and to five five to ten if you did that for the acting even you have to consider like the full scope of like filmmaking and they should actually figure out a way i don't know how you could do it with the current academy makeup and even as they have diversified and like more international like globalized the academy and all these different things uh it certainly has not helped this aspect of it but you have to consider more variety of movies right like i just think that the 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 way we are so focused on these quote-unquote awards movies you end up like kind of really boxing out a lot of really compelling performances and movies that maybe aren't haven't been thought of in that way so i i guess i don't like like i don't think like that's i think you're give you're trying to give them i understand what you're saying but i think you're also giving them too much credit because we've seen what had or had been happening with the unlimited ballot at the Emmys like they just watched like four shows and they just nominated like 10 people from the same show and like this year they they're they're, they're killing it they're going back to restrict the ballot so it's forcing you to actually pick your favorite like you're you're you might not list 10 actors from the same show anymore because you only have like six slots now in that category so you're gonna you know be more diligent in picking your favorite and maybe think more about um, which performances you actually love instead of just being like, I love the show in general. And I'm going to like check off like the fourth lead who was like, fine, but I just love the show. But I think, I think part of the problem also is that every, like everything is just so online now and there's so much publicity and coverage around award season that you're just, you can't like help, but be sort of subconsciously influenced by what you see and read and obviously you know a lot of um these campaigns start really early on because certain films sound like an oscar movie Mm -hmm. you know like killers of fire moon not even out this year but like last year this time everyone was just like oh my god like scorsese versus spielberg right we did we did that yeah yeah like we're guilty of it but it's like you already have like certain films and people on your radar and that's because of their pedigree, which is fine. But that's why I also love when, you know, films like Everything Everywhere, that had absolutely no Oscar aspirations when it was made. So it's great to see films like that actually break through and it could actually win Best Picture, right? Right. Because it's organic. Um, so, but then I I think what would actually help is my, my dream award system <laughs> where everything, like all the voting is done in secret so no one can copy off of each other. Yes. I, I think I mentioned this last year. You did. So like, I want it to be like everyone get like every group, like from the Oscars to like, like every critic, all the 3 million critics groups, they, everyone gets, can see the movies, they get the screeners. And then you do your secret balloting by December 31st. You vote for your nominees. It's on secret. And then in January, you stagger the nominations announcements. You could do multiple a day. And then um voting opens for the winners and everyone votes in secret 
by let's say like January 31st, just pick a date, whatever, um, all in secret. And then like you spend February staggering the winner's announcements. So no one can copy off of each other. Cause I think that way you might actually be able to make your own decisions. <laughs> right. Do you think who would be in charge of tabulating all of this? I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. So we'll yeah. Joyce, Joyce led group. Yeah. Uh, do it. And then uh, last one here, Joyce. And again, you can email us at slugfestigolderby.com. Uh, this is from Matt. Big fan of you and Joyce on the podcast. Just wondering, similar to your Oscars playback videos, would you do a video of what you thought the five SAG Best Ensemble nominees would have been had they pre-exist had they existed pre-1995? It would be interesting to see your thoughts and analysis of how those nominees could have affected the Oscars at that time. That's a wild, uh, a wild concept. I, I, <laughs> I mean, they they didn't have the category at the first SAGs. No. Um, uh, it is funny to think about like how that would have maybe affected things, especially with five. Um, but yeah, but it's also like weird because like that is that that award is just for the best cast. It's not right. best picture. Right. And like it often doesn't line up like SAG Ensemble and Best Picture at the Oscars. Right. Anyway, but yeah, it's um an interesting proposition and question. Um, I can't say I've thought about it deeply. Like no. I, I have thought about it like, oh, what would the five nominees would have been the first year of SAG because they didn't have the category. But I've never gone uh, What would they have been, Joyce? Let me look at this up. What was the first year of SAG? The first year of SAG was also Jamie Lee Curtis's first nomination for True Nin Lies, remember? The <laughs> 1994, I guess, or 1995? 1990, yeah, the films of 94. So I could see like Forrest Gump. The Forrest yeah. Gump, certainly. Um, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Ed Wood. I don't. I think like Bullets Over Broadway. Certainly, that seems like likely. Like that. That is a cast. <laughs> yep. So you got Bullets Over Broadway, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction. The other uh, big nominees were like Quiz Show, hmm. uh, Shawshank. I could see. I mean, yeah, even though that's mostly a two like him and Morgan, but yeah, I mean, there are other, I mean, you know, other I mean, people. Would, based it. on the list of nominees, like from that year, I would say like Quiz Show probably would get in, maybe. I would say maybe um, the River Wild, which is a great ensemble, the Merrill nomination. Iconic film. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Uh, Kevin Bacon, man. Um, oh, the client. R.I.P. Brad Renfro. We did a '94 Oscars playback. Well, we we did all of the '90s. I know. Uh, interview with a vampire, big ensemble cast. I'm trying to think of movies with like ensemble casts. I know, but like it, like SAG was also different back then because it, it wasn't SAG AFTRA, right? So. Um, I so like the following year when they introduced the category, the nominees were Apollo thirteen, which won, Get Shorty, How to Make an American Quilt, <laughs> Nixon, and Sense and Sensibility. I mean, big controversy at the time, but what about Natural Born Killers, which is a great ensemble, very deep 
deep bench of actors. I don't think they would have gone for it. How about four weddings and a funeral? Yeah, I could see that because that was like a hit. So Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Four Weddings and Funeral, Bullets Over Broadway, and then a fifth one that could be, I don't know, Interview with the Vampire, Shawshank, Quiz Show. Now I'm just going through 1994 movies. I think Shawshank um, could make it. It is a two-hander, but it is a very good, solid yeah. group of actors, like a very good group of supporting actors. So, it's it's not a two-hander like Green Book. <laughs> no, the Green Book won an Oscar, Joyce. Oh yeah, didn't you hear? Oh, interesting, yeah. mm-hmm. interesting, interesting, interesting organization. We 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 dedicate so much time to thinking about it. Um, it it didn't win SAG though. No, it was just two two of them. Yeah, <laughs> only two people in the movie. Uh, Joyce, that's it. Uh, so again, email us at slugfest at goldderby.com. We'll be back next week to do, let's see, DGA, full D, the, like BAFTA predictions, I guess, DGA predictions, uh, and whatever else. We'll, we'll just um, really Zapruder the luncheon class photo. Can't wait to do that. that that'll that be our lead. It'll open up. I'll yeah. hold up. Maybe I'll print it out and hold it up. <laughs> Take a look at it. All right. Bye, Joyce. For all things Hollywood competition and award season, head to goldderby.com and follow us on social media at Gold Derby. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.